read verses 21 to 26, Matthew 16. If you need a Bible, put your hand up and uh, they'll appear. Uh, Matthew 16, verses 21 to 26. From that time... Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I'll tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So, we've been going through this uh, series on discipleship. Um, and today's sermon is discipleship. It costs. There is a cost to discipleship. Remember we say, what is a disciple? Uh, it can be translated as one who learns, or if you like, in our language, an apprentice. It's like an apprentice. We've got Jesus teaching us the way to be. And I guess the question this morning is, who are we prepared to learn from? Do we want to learn from maybe society, what that tells us? Do we want to learn from current thinking? Do we want to be politically correct? Am I going to listen to my friends and family? None of those things in their, in their self are bad, but really... The one that I really want to listen to, if I'm a disciple, if I'm an apprentice, I want to listen to the teacher. Otherwise, I think I know I can do better myself. No, we listen to God, and he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He pointed unashamedly to himself because he knew. He knew his place. He was part of the Trinity, and the scriptures bear witness to him. He is the truth. If he's the truth, then the true Christian apprentice or disciple follows his truth. And his truth comes before all other things. Uh, My son, uh, you might know my son, I know him, he's a nice lad, apprentice plumber. He's an apprentice plumber. He's learning uh, his trade and he's getting taught quite well. But what if he said to the person teaching him, well, do you know what, I think I want to put the tap on the other way. I know you know what you're on about but I'm just going to try it my way because I fancy doing it the other way. Why can't I? Well, he could. He could do it, but then he'd be wrong and the kitchen would be flooded. He'd be in error. It won't work. It can't function because it's not in the right place and doing the right thing. And we can do that with God. I know what God says. I know what the Bible says, but why can't I do it my way? I think I know better than God. Because that's perfectly what we're saying when we ignore his word. Let's give that a go. And of course... Like the bad apprentice plumber, you'd be wrong. You can give it a go, but it won't work and it won't turn out well. You can't function as a true disciple, a true follower of Christ, unless you're going to take his words seriously. The temptation is around, isn't it, to bargain with the call of Christ, to make it a little bit more acceptable. 
Okay, because we try, we see some verses, well, that's a bit of a tough one, not sure about that. We can manufacture the word uh, and what it says to maybe suit me and my circumstances. Or, come on, let's not be too legalistic. Maybe it was true then, it's not true now. Jesus may have said, "You, you should love your enemies. Probably what he meant, don't take active revenge on them. Maybe we just shouldn't love them. Or Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except by me. That, you know, people don't like hearing that. So maybe we could say he's one of the ways. He's one of the ways. But there are many others because I don't want to offend anybody. When he said, seek first the kingdom of God, maybe, because it suits me, he meant seek first all the other things in life that you want, but please don't forget me and keep me on the... As long as I'm on the periphery, I'll be okay. When he said, you'll be my witnesses... Maybe he meant, he, that's, he did say those words, but I don't think he meant me. I think that's for others and not for me. And I like my church, my home group, just the way it is. Surely Jesus wouldn't ask me to change anything and make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. See, in all these things, when we, when we, if we have that attitude, the tap is on the wrong way and it's going to get messy. We're evading the clear call of Jesus to absolute obedience. And that's where true freedom is found. That's the disciple. That's the true disciple the true apprentice, and discipleship costs. You know it costs. It can cost in many ways. It can cost emotionally when you choose to love someone or choosing to forgive someone, even if they don't deserve it. It will cost you financially because we like to give sacrificially to help God's message and mission go further and further and further. It might hurt your relationship. It might cost uh, good and bad. You'll gain relationships, but sometimes, in my experience, you lose them as well and you get rejected for being a Christian. There's a recent study by the Barnard Group. That's all I know. Don't ask me who they are. I know they do a lot of studies. They do a lot of surveys. They're very well-known and well-respected. And this is the bad news. Do you know, this is a fact. This is, well, this is from their study. This is what they say. 40% of adults in England don't believe or aren't sure that Jesus was a real person. That's bad, isn't it? No, it's not. Because that means 60%, if the glass is half full, good news existed and that he was a real person. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Because the overwhelming evidence is that he existed. Uh, We know he existed. There's overwhelming evidence for the resurrection. Uh, Without the resurrection, uh, rule falls. But it it happened and there's evidence. But the good news is 60% do. Only 7% are practicing Christians. Why is that? If 60% believe Jesus existed, they they may not believe he was who he said he was and and as I've said before no serious scholar denies the existence of Jesus I wonder why only 7% if they they believe he existed why 7% will call themselves committed Christians is it the witness of the church in maybe we're not vocal enough or actually we are witnessing it's just not a good witness is the call of Christ too hard is it too hard do they look at the person of Christ do they look at his teaching they think this is going to cost me and I don't want to do it or is it they believe that he existed, but I have no need of him, in which case the church has failed. There's a, there's a terminology out at the moment um, called the red-letter Christian. You know what that means? Red-letter Christian. You know, in some Bibles, the words of Jesus are written in red letters. And, they, and what they say is, I'm a red-letter Christian because I'm going to take those words seriously. Now, I'm not in total agreement, not in taking it seriously. Of course I am, but that's a high Christology. We should take the whole Bible seriously. Uh, but especially the words of Jesus. When, uh, uh, when uh, Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I've got that on the, uh, on the PowerPoint. That was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
um, true disciple of Christ, wrote a, a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And the Nazis killed him when he wouldn't capitulate uh, in the war, in the Second World War, where some churches did. They ignored the call of Christ and actually sided with the Nazis and, and turned a blind eye. And Christianity really, uh, evangelical Christianity, has not really recovered in Western Europe since then. Uh, but he did, and they took him to the gallows, and they said, the SS officer said, for you, this is the end. He said, no, 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 for me, this is the beginning. And they killed him. And he, he really, really lived out that life of discipleship. I'd recommend you get that book, The Cost of Discipleship. And in those 11 words, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In those 11 words, he managed to, to grasp the New Testament teaching on what it means to follow Christ. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me in this passage, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's saying, like we keep saying, the old me has gone, I'm now living for him. The old has gone, the new has come. I've made a, a break with the world and its opinions. I might listen to them, some I, I'll like, some I won't. I'm in the world, I'm not of it, I'm going to take the word of God seriously. I'm saying I now live for Christ. I am the apprentice, he is the teacher, and I'm going to do what he says, not what everyone else tells me. My allegiance is to him, 100%, no compromise. And there's many, many distractions, but we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And in this passage, scarily, Jesus has bold words when one of his closest followers tries to distract him. He looks at him, and can you imagine being Peter? And he says, get behind me, Satan. That would have put a chill, wouldn't it, through you? So if we can have the second slide, and we're just going to work through this passage. You'll see where I'm going with it uh, when it comes up. Robert? Thank you. There it is, so you can see where I'm going. So, uh, let's look at the passage. First of all, the first thing we can learn from it is the mission of God, the mission of Jesus in, in, at this point. He knows what's going to happen. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He knew he'd have to suffer. He had to. It said he, he must go to Jerusalem. He knew his mission. He must go. Why did he have to go? Why did he have to go and die? And this is the mission of God, seeking and saving the lost, looking for the lost. The Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray. And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and he seeks and saves the lost. Why has he got to save the lost? Because without him I have no hope. Uh, someone's going to pay for my wrongdoing, I choose Jesus. If I, if I don't choose Jesus, I'm going to have to pay for it, and that's not a healthy place to be. This was the mission of God. He sent his son to seek and save the lost. Jesus had to die and take my sin, my wrongdoing, with him. But he also proved himself, it wasn't the end, that he was raised again, defeating death. This is the good news. That's what gospel means. It's good news. He takes my wrongdoing, your wrongdoing, with him on the cross, pays for it, and then defeats death. And this is why. We had a funeral last week, and we can say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where is your sting? Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. I don't have to fear death. I might not look forward to it, but I don't have to fear it, because he's got me. I'm his, and he is mine. So he had to go. He had to go, and he knew what he was going to. And that was costly, wasn't it, for Jesus and for God. So when I'm tempted to water the word of God down to suit me, because maybe it's going to cost me. I only need to look at passages like this and know that my life cost God everything. And actually, maybe I can do it, and maybe I will obey it. When you know you need to obey the call of God, and it can be difficult, 
you only need to look at passages like this. When you need to love when you've been hurt, to forgive when you're wronged, to do something when you're tired, to give and it hurts, to bless when actually you only feel anger, to look for the good in someone when others see only bad, to encourage, to think the best. When it hurts, remember Jesus' mission. And he didn't shirk from it, and so neither should we. Those words are in there telling us how to act. And your mission now, in the same way he fulfilled his, your mission now is to live those things out and take him seriously. And that he's called you and he's paid for you and our lives are lived in response. What if Christians really, really lived that out? The world would be transformed. Seriously, wouldn't it? If we lived out those things, it would be transformed. People would see a living witness to what the kingdom of God looks like. It would be attractive. And then there would be more than 7% of committed Christians. People would be so keen to join this movement of positive, encouraging, thinking the best, loving, forgiving, sacrificial people. It turned the world around, starting with 12, then 120, and now a third of the world. But sometimes we want to put the tap on the wrong way. And the temptation is there that we know best and that we don't have to take Jesus maybe as seriously on that bit because I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like loving. I don't feel like being positive. Actually, I'm going to sit and criticise and mock and look, you know, some, I, I love some, some people I come across and I give them a problem and they say, well, look, we can do this and they give me a solution. Other people I come across, I give a solution, they will find a problem. I want to be one of the ones who finds a solution and be positive and encourage. I want people to want to bump into me, not cross the other side of the road. And the Christian character should be that. But of course, there's always the second point, distraction or opposition. Jesus knew his mission. He knew he had to follow it. We know we've got to follow ours. We know what we're supposed to do. We know, we know the character traits we're supposed to have. We love preaching about it, but doing it is a little bit difficult. And so there's opposition. Now, you've got to admire Peter's courage. Here we've got God revealed in Christ, Jesus. He, he's called him master. He's called him teacher. Here later, he's, it's his confession, isn't it? You are the Christ. And he, Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. Amazing. But knowing all that, Peter takes him aside because he knows best. He rebukes him. He's rebuking God. I mean, you've got to admire his courage. Never, Lord. It said, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall not happen to you. He's trying to distract Jesus from his mission. Peter's rebuking Jesus. Peter's rebuking God. And we could fill ourselves with horror about this. So, well, I wouldn't have done that. But don't we do it? Every time we say, I know best. No, 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 no. I'm going to go and do it my way. Not yours. You don't know best. I know best. Here, Peter knows best. He's saying, I want, it, I want things to happen my way, not your way. And I've got to ask myself a question this morning. Am I a disciple that knows its costs? Or am I a Peter? Who is the one who tells you that you can pick and choose, that it's all about you? You can stay hurt. You don't have to forgive. Don't love that person. Water the word down. Don't believe some of it. Don't rely on the promises of Scripture. Distracting, distracting, distracting you in your mission and the call of Christ. Jesus has no problem identifying who's behind it in verse 23. And it does make your blood run cold. And you've got to feel a bit sorry for Peter. He probably thought he was doing Jesus a favour. No, you don't want to go and do that. Jesus turned. And try and imagine this. I'm Peter or you're Peter. He turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that is, 
it's horrific to be told that, isn't it? You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Get behind me, Satan. See, Jesus knows where his distraction is coming from. He looks beyond the person. Anything that distracts you from God, anything that says you don't have to have that attitude, that character, or you can have the selfishness, is because of him. And you need to say and call him on it, get behind me, Satan. There's enough bad stuff in the world. We don't want a load of Christians adding to it. And once I know, once you know your call and your mission, we get on with it. Distractions can come from many quarters, come from the world, friends, family, sometimes even within church. Anything or anyone that tries to pull me or you off course, recognise who's behind it. It's easier to love and forgive than it is to hold on. And so what is the call? This is uh, point three, verse 24. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He knows it can be difficult to take on that character. He doesn't leave you on your own. He sends that supernatural side of God, the Holy Spirit, to change us from within. But he wants us to demonstrate love, mercy, grace, encouragement, forgiveness, to deny ourselves sometimes. And I've got to do that because it's all about him now. If I'm the apprentice, he knows best, not me. It's about him. And if we do that, he'll change the world for us. It's been done before. He's changed communities. He's changed churches. He's changed relationships. But it's only when we're in rebellion that things start to go wrong. And we put ourselves in the place of Peter that we said we'd never do that. I know best. It's about him. And he'll change the world through you and he'll change people's lives through you if you let him. It's costly, but as you take up your cross... And as you do that, when you think it's hard, remember the cross he took up and follow him. That's his call. Take up your cross. Live this life out. And finally, the promise, verse 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, for me, will find it. Verse 26, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? It basically means, look, I might have to give some stuff up in my life, my attitudes, the bad stuff, the criticising, the moaning, the woe is me, the victim. I have to give that up instead. Or, or maybe there's actions I'm supposed to take and I don't. I've got to think about that and say, what genuinely, what would Christ do? And instead, I can choose to be sacrificial. I can choose to be a giving person. I can choose to be a blessing to people. And for me, being a leader with all that brings, recognising that sometimes I'm dealing with imperfect people and and also they're dealing with me, someone who's imperfect as well. Recognising that we're not perfect and that we can forgive and love and, you know, be a community of people that is not like the world. It's a challenge and in some ways I have to be prepared to lose my life. But Jesus says, your real life is found in him. I mean, many of you know my story used to be in Broken. I used to thought I was quite good at it, and uh, some other people didn't think I was, but I seemed to manage. Um, Travelled over the world, saw clients over the world, earned good money. Lived in a nice house, had great friends, great wife, great family, everything's good. And, and I can tell you, you know, I know a lot of, uh, of dead and divorced millionaires. And they think, they're chasing the dream, they think they're going to find the answer by getting bigger, better, more powerful, treading on people, and they don't. And when I, I have a privilege also to be with people at the end of their life, and, and some of them have such regret where they did all of that. It's not, it's not wrong with being successful, but don't put that first. It's got to be putting God first. And when God called me, 
I had to give up, I gave up things, but it, for me it wasn't a burden. It was the core, and that had to come first. It, it cost. Of course it costs, but it's worth it. You lose some aspects of your life, but you gain everything. Maybe I did give up some things. Maybe you have to give up some things. But I gained everything, and the Bible says I did not forfeit my soul, because that's got eternal consequences. To be able to do this, you have to have faith. You have to have faith. You have to have faith that God knows best. And when you don't feel like doing something, or saying something, or being something, God knows best. Just acknowledge his word and do it. I'm the apprentice, Matthew 10, 24. No student is above his, t- above his teacher. You know, Nigel Wright, who was the principal of Spurgeon's when I got ordained at uh, this very church, that was the passage he wrote. And when he said it, I thought, oh, he's going to know about me at college now. He's going to say I'll try to you know, tell him um, about theology. And I got a bit worried. But it wasn't. It was Jesus saying, look, you're not above me. You're the apprentice, and I'm showing you. And either you think you know better, and in which case you're going to go down the road and there'll be water all over the kitchen... Or you're going to say, I know best, and you'll follow my way, and I'll teach you, and I'll help you. I won't leave you alone. I'll send my spirit. It'll change you from within. And it's an amazing life. There'll be things you need to give up, but you're going to gain everything. If I have faith, I'm going to believe that, and I'll obey it. And that's the disciple. If I have faith that God is true to his word, then I'll forgive, even when I don't want to. If I have faith that God is true to his word, I'll love. If I have faith that God is true to his word, I'll give sacrificially. If I have faith that God is true to his word, I'll serve wholeheartedly, not as a burden. If I have faith, I'll never be lacking in zeal, keeping spiritual fervour, serving God. I'll obey because I trust him and I think he knows best. When I don't obey, I'm Peter. I know best. I know best. When that happens, I've got to see those words echoing in my my mind, get behind me, Satan. Because that's where it comes from. When you start putting yourself before God, I remember getting called up the road uh, to Stock, my church in Stock, and I was here, I liked it here, uh, and I also looked at another church, the other church, I haven't told you this before or not, but the other church was near the coast, um, and I was a windsurfer, so I thought, that looks good, I'll have a look, and they wanted me to go over there, and it was a big church, and the role for me was uh, 40% of the preaching and, and the evangelism, that's what, that's what I want to do, that's what I want to do, excellent, well done Ian, we know what you want. And I went up there and they had Ikea offices. You had your own office for each pastor and youth work directors and everything else they had. It was amazing. They had a welcome desk so people didn't just walk in. I don't mind you walking in. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, they'd get buzzed. They're so-and-so. To say, it's all right if they pop up. I thought, that's nice. <laughs> Do you want a cup of tea? I thought, that's even better. Do you want a biscuit? It was so nice. And my want... You know, that ticked every box for me in my flesh. 600 people at the church. I thought, it's going to be great. And then there's this church up the road with 35 mainly elderly people, very faith-filled, and I felt a call of God to there. I wanted to go to the other place. God called me somewhere else. And I could have chosen. He gives you a choice. I could have chosen to go there. It probably would have been all right. You know, I don't think I would have lost 600 members. But actually, it wasn't the call of God. And when, when, when you get that call, you have to go with it. And then after time, I felt the call to go by vocational, go back to broken, still run the church. And God blessed it. And then after a time, I felt the call was to lay it down. That was really hard. But then a year later, you called me here. And I wouldn't have been talking to you had I not laid it down over there. 
See, God knows best. Ian doesn't know best. I'm saying about the IKEA offices, in case anyone's listening, because <laughs> in there, it's a little small room. We share it. You know, we would like them. No, it's fine. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> uh, but even the call to hear, the regional minister came to see me. He said, there's some other churches, bigger. We were just going through CIO. How much did we love that? It was great. Um, there's going to be changes. Um, people, long-standing Faithful people stepping down from leadership. I thought, oh, it's going to be... I could go over there, and that, that would be... That, you know, there's a ready-made team. It's all set to go, and they've done all the legal stuff. I felt called here. It's not about what Ian wants. It's about the call of God. This is what Tom's going through now. Tom's got to ignore the wants and what he thinks, necessarily. He's got to, he's got to discern, so have we, the call of God. And the call of God sometimes means less money, more sacrifice. Any leadership role, you're putting yourself out there. You've got to be open and transparent, as you should be. And, you know, there's real privilege in that. You can attract encouragement, which is great, but you can also attract criticism. And sometimes you don't want to do that, but I'm called to it. It's, that's just my call. You've got your call. Bob Allen, you remember Bob? Bishop Bob. Um, he, he preached at my induction. And I remember him saying to me, it's all good at the moment, Ian, and, and God has called you. But always remember, when it gets tough, you answered. And don't moan about the ministry. And, and you know, I've, I've fouled in that. Sometimes I have a moan. I'm only human. Forgive me. You've got to forgive me after this sermon, you really. You can't not. <laughs> but I answered. And there is sacrifice. There's sacrifice in being a Christian. It's not just about church ministers. We're all ministers. There's sacrifice in all sorts of things. Juan Carlos Ortiz, you ever heard of him? I'm look, I don't know why I'm looking at you, Claire. It's just because he's, he's foreign and you've just come from Mozambique. <laughs> he wrote a book called Disciple. It's an excellent book. I think I've got an old copy in there. And, and he, he has this illustration where he said, you know, you're standing before God and you say, God, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm for you. I am for you. Okay, great. Well, look, you know, I need, I, need, uh, I need you to give up your career and work for me. Give up my career. Oh, you've got a career. Give it up. Work for me. Well, then, if I give up my career, I'm going to get less money. Oh, you've got money. Give me your money. He said, well, if, you, if I give you all my bank accounts, I'll only have the money left in my pocket. He said, oh, you've hidden some in your pockets. I'll have that as well. <laughs> he said, if I have no money, I won't be able to buy any clothes. You've got clothes. Take them off. Give them to me. Well, then my wife would think I'm crazy. Oh, you've got a wife. She's mine as well. You give her to me. I'm hardly left with anything. I'll be running around the house naked with no wife. He goes, you've got a house. Oh, yeah, I want that as well. But then my kids will have nowhere to live. Oh, you've got children. I'll take them. But then you've left me with nothing. I'm nothing. And he says, that's right. But you're my son, and now I'm going to give all of it back. And just remember, it's all a gift from me. And you're just a steward. And you look after it, and you be my disciple. Really good illustration. We're going to sing in a second. Be thou my vision. And there's a line in there, you're my father, and I'm your true son. I, I, I well up every time I sing it. The intimacy of it. When someone becomes a follower of Jesus, when I, I have the privilege of, of seeing them when they do that, they are so excited. I love talking to them, but I always tell them they must count the cost, and Jesus tells us to do that as well. Mostly there's a willingness, but sadly, sometimes you see that long-standing Christians have become maybe a little comfortable, and they've lost their way a little. I hear the way they speak and act. Maybe they're a bit judgmental or mocking or criticise. Sometimes we all need a spiritual health check. And as we say yes to Christ, real discipleship needed. And let's increase that 7%.
Then the people will see the church as she should be. The people within it would be attractive, and that 7% number will grow. I'm going to finish by reading a passage that we had in our devotions uh, in the week. And if you think about this, if we truly live this out, um, the church would grow. So take this as your spiritual health check. I have as well. I preached this first myself. And it's from Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. We're going to worship, we're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision, to finish, to finish. Uh, Make this our prayer. Remember, he's your great father and you're his true son or daughter. And God sent his son into the world for you. So I'm going to live my life out in gratitude and call myself a disciple of Christ, which sometimes costs.